from Luke, the 18th chapter. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brother, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this life and in the life to come, or the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of God. Let the one who has ears hear what the Spirit says to God's people. And let's pray. Lord, we are here to learn from you. On this day set aside to be a day in which we rest and are recreated by your word and your spirit. A day in which we focus our attention upon the beauty of who you are, the wonder of the word you have given, the, the magnificent children with which you have blessed us, brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, O oh Lord, in all of this, we are called to forsake everything to be with you. Help us to forsake the thoughts that we had before we came here that would drive our hearts and minds away from you. Grant to us your Holy Spirit that we may think about you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And that indeed, Lord, when we are finished here, we will have known this day that we have been fed by the Spirit and Word of God, and we have been refreshed for the week ahead. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know, should I let you sit or not? Yeah, you may be seated. <laughs> you may remember just the process, the uh, justification. Okay. The context in which we are when we're looking at Lord's Day 34 and we begin the Ten Commandments, we have been talking about justification throughout the second part of Heidelberg Catechism, and now we have moved into sanctification, doing good works. Not doing them alone, but doing them by the work of the Holy Spirit within us, because it is a cooperative event. 
And sanctification is us fulfilling the law of God. And that's where we kind of ended last week in number 33. And we pick it up this week as to what is what are good works? Uh, legitimate question, because we could come up with our own list. In fact, if I gave you a piece of paper and just said, you know, write all the good works you can think of. And then we compared them. We might have some similarities and then we would have some differences. But throughout all the ages, that would not help. And so the Heidelberg Catechism said, well, let's help define what are the good works that we're talking about. And so you get to Lord's Day 34 uh, and you begin to understand that. Now, here is a little bit... Here it depends upon what translation or what issue you have of the Heidelberg Catechism. In our book, which I hope you have all bought and are reading and using, they are $5 in the back. Four, $4.50 for the one I used a few weeks ago. Discount price. In this one, the law of God is the last chapter or the last part of previous Lord's Day. In the little small one I sometimes bring with me, it's the first question in Lord's Day 34. And so I, I purposely left it out last week so we could pick it up this week, where the question is, what is the law of God? And the answer, and God spoke all these words saying, and I'm not going to read it, it's Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, it is what we know as the Ten Commandments or the ten words, because these, all, all of these could be narrowed down into one word for each of them. These are the ten commandments that the Lord spoke to the people of Israel when he first called them to the foot of the mountain in Exodus 19. And there he spoke to them, and it sound, seemed like thunder when God spoke, but he told them these words so that they already had orally the Ten Commandments and the law, the basic law that God wanted. Then he calls Moses up in order to have it in writing. It's just like what we do with contracts today. You know, you can say, and we can agree to something and shake hands, but boy, you better put it down in paper because somebody will misunderstand it. It's in black and white, you can't misunderstand. Well, you can, but you can argue over it. So God says, I will give you a black and white copy of it. And he does it through Moses. And these are the commandments. It's the law of God. It is that which defines overall, generally, what are the works of God. And so if you take your outline, which has, it's rather big today. It's three pages, partly because some of the stuff that's in there, the verses, take up a lot of space. But it begins, I begin, and we're going to begin talking about what is the purpose of the law? Why do we have it? And you'll notice that there are three sections there. One to reflect, one to reveal, and one to restrain. And that's the order in which I'm going to take them. The law of God is the covenant aspect of the new life. Because I, I will... You know, let's just remind ourselves of how this came about. God rescued Israel out of Egypt. He took them 
out of the slavery that was theirs. He did it by miraculous signs. He did it by the Passover. He did it as they went through the Red Sea, what the New Testament calls a symbol of baptism. He brings them to this mountain. So they've already known the grace of God, and he's already, in essence, said to I didn't have to do this. I did it because I made a covenant, and I have a purpose, but I didn't have to do this. I could have left you sit there and sweat in Egypt. But he brings them out, and now he says, in response to my gracious salvation, being pulled out of slavery, this is how I want you to live. And therefore, even the the Ten Commandments begin with this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then he begins to talk about it. That's the beginning of the covenant. And it, first of all, the commandments reflect like a mirror. If you look at a letter B, the law reflects the character of God showing his holiness, glory, and peace. For he said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you begin to see he's renewing and rebuilding the covenant and he's reminding them who the one is, the sovereign who has defeated their enemies and brought brought them underneath his wings. He is the sovereign one that's signed up, that's signified by that phrase, I am the Lord, capital L, small O, small capital O-R-D. I am Yahweh, I am the self-existent one, and I am God, I am the strong one, I am the almighty one. And those show his glory and his holiness. To say he's a self-existent one says, I was never created, I am timeless, I have all the attributes that a God has to have. I am the one and I have brought you out of slavery by the right arm of who I am. And then he goes in to say, I'm also your savior because I brought you out of the house of slavery. He's reminding them in that preamble exactly who he is. And therefore he's ready to set up the covenant. He is the one who has been gracious and is developing that relationship. Secondly, the law is meant to, and what you have is number three, to reveal, excuse me, letter A, under number one. The law brings us under conviction of sin and makes us conscious of need for a savior. What the law does is to show us how bad we really are. And we will get to see that by the time we're done today. This is my beat on the people day. No, not quite. But this is what the law does. It shows us how far we have fallen from the glory that, with which we were created. It shows us that it is impossible for us to be saved, even as Jesus said to his disciples when they said, well, who can be saved? And he said, with man, it is impossible. But it is possible with God. God alone is able to save. And that's the, that's the purpose of it. So the law causes us to do two, one of two things. We will either flee to God because we recognize we have no hope in and of ourselves and all of our, all that we do will accomplish nothing or make us flee from God because we will be so uh, filled with anger, hatred, 
at his immensity and who he is. And we will say, I don't like a God who tells me that I am a sinner. I want a God who tells me I'm a good person and I can make it on my own. That's not only true for Americans. It's been true throughout the ages. And that's what the law does. Uh, it will make us either flee to or flee from. And that's part of the purpose as it reflects who we are, who we really are, and who really God is. And then it reveals to us the will of God. It's an instrument by which he points out to us, what do I want you to do? Uh, the, you know, God is in the process. He has delivered them from Egypt, and now he's in the process of delivering Egypt from his people. He's got to take Egypt out. And he's saying, this is a way in which you are to do good works and by which you are to be changed. And so it has the ethical contact, content for a covenant relationship, which, you know, that's, that's what God is doing. He's setting up the covenant. I am, I am the sovereign one. Now, this is how you're going to live, underneath my tutelage, underneath my rule. And later on, he will say there are blessings and curses if you do this or if you fail to do it. But there are great promises if you obey. And again, I would remind you, it's all under grace. It's because they were saved, not in order for them to be saved. Those who say there's little grace in the, New Te the Old Testament really haven't read it. Or they've heard that there isn't. But it's, it's there. It's in every page. We live under grace. And so, when the, little, when the young, rich young ruler comes to him and asks, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, you know, right there you listen and Jesus is listening. Say, what must you do to inherit eternal life? Can you save yourself? Well, Jesus responds. He talks about, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And the inference I take from that is Jesus is saying, are you calling me God? And that may not have been what the rich young ruler was thinking about, but that's what he was saying. If you are good, then you're God. And, but he may not want to go that far. And therefore... Jesus goes back to his original question. What must I do? And he uses the law to reveal to him the depth of his own sin. He looks at him and says, keep the law. He mentions five out of the ten commandments. He mentions five out of the six of the last commandments. And you remember the response of the rich young ruler? All these I have kept from my youth. What an audacious statement. Well, yeah, on the surface level, he may have kept them from his youth. But Jesus is going to start going underneath the surface. He's going to do what the law was meant to do. The law was not meant simply to be fulfilled as far as those words. But as Jesus would do, he will fill up the law. And he will show you how deep the law really goes and how pervasive it has to be within a follower of God. 
And it's basically what Jesus said to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. To love Jesus means to obey his word. And if you're not obeying his word in one area, then in that area you do not love Jesus. I don't say that you don't love him at all, but you do not love him in that area. And that's what he's saying. And in order for that to be accomplished, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to come in. If you take a look at that passage from Ezekiel 36 where it is prophesied. And he says, I'll take you from the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's prophesied. And then it is produced in Hebrews 8, 10 to 12 is that which he says, I'll put my laws within their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And it's the Spirit who, in accordance with this book, reveals to us what is the will of God. And you have an internal teacher who does that. Isn't that great? I mean, I had a lot of teachers going up and going to school. But there are a couple teachers that got inside of me and influenced even the way in which I teach now. Uh, I had a math teacher who made math fun. We would laugh, and sometimes we, he, was, he was hilarious. And I decided, if I ever teach, I'm going to make things fun because that's how I learned. And Mr. Murphy is in me, even though he's not around me. You have the Spirit of God within you who will take and apply the Word of God to you and help you to understand it. That's learning the instrument. Thirdly, and it's a number two on your sheet, to restrain sin and promote righteousness. Anytime the Ten Commandments have been instituted within a society, whether or not a society is Christian or not, it works better when it's filled with Christians. It has made a better society. One of the issues of our day is the Ten Commandments have been jettisoned to some degree, especially the first four. But they say, well, we don't want the Ten Commandments in our school. Well, then it's okay for me to murder my students. No, 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 you can't murder. Well, then it's okay for me to lie to my teacher. No, 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 you can't lie. Then it's okay for me to do anything I want with another person. No, 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 you can't commit adultery. Then I can, uh, then I can covet somebody else's tennis shoes and kill them for it. No, 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 you can't covet then I can do this and this. No, 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 no. And actually, you see, they're still living by the Ten Commandments because they want a civil society within the classroom. We want a civil society. If you notice in the uncivility of our society where the commandments have been jettisoned, I can say anything I want and get away with it as long as you don't find out about it. And then I'll just apologize and everything will be okay. No, it doesn't work that way. But that's 
we have we've jettisoned from that the law promotes a civility and harmony among people and that's what it's meant to do so now we go on the law has this effect and this is this is one of the cardinal rules to understand the use of the law where a duty is commanded in the law the negative or contrary sin is forbidden and where the sin is forbidden the duty is commanded let me repeat that where a duty is commanded the sin is forbidden and where a sin is forbidden, the duty is commanded. That's why I say, when the, when the uh, rich young ruler said, I've kept these things all through my life, I, I can almost see Jesus shaking his head. You don't understand. These laws are negative, but there's something positive you have to do with them. Or when he's talking to the Pharisees, I think it's in Matthew 15, where they, he, he says, you guys, you honor the Lord with your lips, but you're far from him. You say you keep the law, but you have a law called Corbin. That is, you dedicate things that, the, that your parents have given to you to God. And when your parents need them, you say, no, no, they're Corbin. They're Corbin. I can't give them to you. I can't help you out at all. And in doing that, they have violated the word of God. See, the Lord, Lord, of, Lord of God said, honor your parents, which means do not dishonor them. It also means honor them. And if you don't honor them, then you are sinning just as much as if you withhold, as when you withhold anything that is there. And so that's the depth of the law. And as I've said, Jesus came not only to fulfill the law, but to fill it up to, for you, for us to get to know how deep it really goes. Question 93 is a question, how are these commandments divided? Which I don't think they would have asked this question unless Jesus had uh, set it up this way. Matthew 22:37, where it's, a midst, it's in the midst of a time where the Pharisees are, are, are barking at his heels and they're trying to get him to do something by which they can say that he has blasphemed God or he's no longer following the law of God and therefore he ought to be put to death. They're trying to trip him up so out of his own mouth he condemns himself. And so the Sadducees ask him about the resurrection and when he is, Jesus astonishes them at his teaching, the Pharisees step up and they try theirs. But when the Pharisees heard, that is, it's in Matthew 22, verse 33, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and parathetically, but boy, they're probably very glad. Because Pharisees and Sadducees did not get along too well. Is it? Yes, now it's our turn. Yes, we're going to get them. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, who has really destroyed the legal profession and the reputation of the legal profession, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is a great commandment in the law? You see the trickiness of the question? If he highlights one commandment, in a sense he says the rest are not as important. 
And if he does that, then he has violated the law and he has condemned himself. Well, Jesus understood this. So Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is a great and first commandment. And in that case, he just shut the mouths of the Pharisees. Because what he did is he, he recited the second half of the Shema or the Shemai. If you're in western Pennsylvania, Shema. If you're western Ohio, it's Shemai. He recited that which they recite every day, twice, once in the morning. Hear, O Israel, from which we get Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord, he is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and, and body. Uh, sometimes they add in, in soul. And that is paramount. And they say, well, I can't do anything about this. And then Jesus adds on to that, and he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here he is quoting Leviticus 19, 18, which is in the midst of a summary of the Ten Commandments. And at the end of that summary, almost parathetically, it is written in there, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So even the statement, love your neighbor as yourself, is a summary of the last part of the Ten Commandments. And right there, God, Jesus, has put the two together. So he ends by saying, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything hangs on these two things. And he, in that, he defines the Ten Commandments into two tablets, the first four being our duty to God, our, the second Six being our duty to one another. And yet they are not separate. Our duty to God is our duty to neighbor. And our duty to our neighbor is our duty to God. It's all one. It's just we split them into those two. And that's what the catechism does. Note about this, that they're all relational. It's your duty to God. Your duty to your neighbor. Notice not personal or individual, my duty to me, which is the way we like to look at things in our day and age. What's my duty to me? No, it's a duty to God, it's a duty to neighbor, and they're all really one duty. What a beautiful response. I mean, Jesus just shows his wisdom and his, uh, his insight. Notice also, that the duty takes up the whole person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And one of the gospel writers says, and with all your body. Everything you have from the core of who you are to the outward evidence of who you are, everything is called to honor God. And the second commandment is toward other people. It divide, and you are called to love your neighbor, how? As you love yourself. How did you love yourself this morning? Well, you woke up. You may not have liked it. You may have wanted to stay in bed, but you woke up and said, it's Sunday, I'm going to Sunday school and church, and I'm going to be with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Relational. 
and for forsaking what you may have wanted to do. I mean, this is a great morning for a fire in the fireplace and a wonderful book, a cup of tea or coffee. <sighs> and here we are with one another. You clothed yourself. Most of you probably took showers. I hope you all took showers. <laughs> we got to live with you for these hours. But all of you took care of yourself very well. And I'm looking at you. Yeah, you, you guys did a good job. You did the, just, the best job you could with what you got. That's what I say to myself every day. But you spend a lot of time doing that. And you say, that's exactly how you react with your neighbor. You give up. You take, it takes a whole person to do that. And all these things, both of those, sum up everything in the law and the prophets. That's what it does. Very much like how Jesus began his ministry. Matthew 5, 17, 20 in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The iota and the dot are the smallest parts of a Hebrew word. The smallest letters in a Hebrew word. Even the smallest thing will not pass away. Heaven and earth may, but they are going to stick around. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize how radical that statement is? The Pharisees were the most scrupulous in righteousness. They're the ones who took the uh, 613 commandments of the Old Testament and added others around it. They called fencing the commandments. And they say, well, if I don't break these commandments out here, I haven't broken these commandments in here. Therefore, I am right. And they were... They were scrupulous about it. It says, you cannot walk far on the Sabbath. You have to walk, stay near home. So what would they do? Well, they'd walk out their front door. They'd pick up a stone, put it in their pocket, and say, well, I got a stone from my property. Therefore, I'm never far away, and I can walk miles. They were scrupulous at keeping their law while violating the spirit of the law. He says, these were the most religious people that they had. And if your righteousness does not supersede or does not exceed their righteousness, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And right back, we're back into the Ten Commandments, the purpose of the law. He says, I can't do that. I can't go one minute without thinking about something I probably shouldn't think about. Or I'm not thinking about God. I'm, I'm looking around and doing other things. I'm trying to stay awake. That's how scrupulous Jesus said we are to be. And that this law is central to who we are. So, now he gets to the, now the catechism gets to the first commandment. What does God require in the first commandment? That on peril of my soul's salvation, notice how they put it, on peril of my soul's salvation, 
I avoid and flee all idolatry, sorcery, enchantments, invocation of saints or of other creatures, and that I rightly acknowledge the only true God, trust in him alone, with all humility and patience, expect good from him only, and love, fear, and honor him with my whole heart, so as to rather to renounce all creatures than to do the least things against him. That's what it means to have no other God. On the positive side is to honor him above all things. It is, as uh, Jesus will continually say, you go deep. That every aspect of who you are has to honor God. It's his prime, the primacy. And that you are not only just acknowledge that he's a true God, but that you are trusting him. One of the temptations that Jesus had was a temptation to worship the devil. He said, you worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms that you see. And he goes right back to that first commandment, you shall have no other God beside God. And told him to get away. Or even as the Apostle John finished his first epistle, his final ad uh, admonition to the people is this, keep yourself free from idols. He's talked about forgiveness. He's talked about being part of the family. He's talked about watching out for false, uh, false teachers. And basically he says, uh, let me sum this up for you. If you do not do this, you are living with idols. Keep yourself from those idols. And so you have, and I put in your paper, Westminster Larger Catechism. That's what WLC question 104. It, it goes into much further depth than the Heidelberg Catechism, basically because that's how the uh, Westminster divines decided to write their catechism. It requires us to know and recognize God as the only true and God and our God and to worship and glorify him as such by valuing, meditating on, remembering highly, remembering highly regarding, honoring, adoring, preferring, loving, desiring, fearing, believing, trusting, hoping, delighting, and rejoicing in him. We must also be zealous for and call on him, giving him all praise and thanks, completely obeying and submitting to him in our whole purpose. Finally, we must walk humbly with him, being careful to please him in everything we say and do, being genuinely sorry when we offend him. <gasps> Man, I'm tired just thinking about what he said there. Why is it that you spend time every day in a time with God? Because that's how you honor him. Why is it you get up to come to Sunday school and church Sunday after Sunday? Because that's how you honor, you meditate upon him. Why is it you turn off the TV and you turn off the computer and then you turn, turn on your Bible or flip open the pages and read it? Because you want to spend time with God, meditating, trusting, hoping, delighting. Why is it when you're going through tough times, the scripture says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, 
rejoice. Delight in who he is, even in the midst of the tough times, because that's obeying the first commandment. And you see what that does? Automatically you think, man, my week wasn't like that at all. I was worried about the car. I was worried about the doctor appointment. I worried about that test. I worried about this and this and this and this. And I wasn't trusting God for th things again and again and again. Or you look back in your week and say, yes, I did some of those things. And it was a great time to be with the Lord. That's what the commandment tells us to do. And then in the catechism and the opposite side of the commandment, it says, what is idolatry? Idolatry is to conceive of something else in which to place our trust instead of or besides the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. We are idol makers, is the way John Calvin put it. We are a factory. We make idols so quickly that we can't even keep up with the idols we make. Ours may not be like Dagon, the Philistine idol that was half fish and half man. Ours may be ideas or philosophies or political parties or things like that that we hold up above everything else, whether it's counter to God or not. It may be serving something else. You cannot serve God or money. But we do a real good job of trying to serve both of those, of having two masters. And I would dare say we just don't have two masters. We have a whole lot of masters, especially in our culture, to which we always need to be careful. We have at least five masters that I can think of. Sex, success. Oh, I want to be the top of the ladder. I want to do the not only just do the best I can, I want to get up there. Silver, get all you can, save as little as you can, spend all you can, spend your money in ways that please you. Ourself, now we've always taken pictures of family, but all of a sudden in our day and age we take selfies. For no other reason than to have a picture of ourselves. Quite frankly, I don't do that because I, I don't have to like to look at myself. As they say, Facebook says, give us a picture. I say, no, I don't want to bother people with that. But selfies. Or Facebook becomes what used to be a journal. That we write our most private thoughts and then send it out to all of our, quote, friends. Because we want them to see either how good or who we are. And the last of the S's is sports. Now, I gotta admit, that's one I really work with, and I went from teaching to meddling, right there. We have Super Bowl parties. 120, 30 million people watched a game, most of them could not care who won. Why? Because Americans do that. We have a Super Bowl Sunday. We're all concerned about that. And we're concerned about sports. Little children grow up saying, I am going to be the next great star. 
pick your sport. When we all know that less than 0.1% of them will even get close to being a pro. But they have it in their idea, in their mind, they're going to be there. And that's their idol. Those are the idols of our age. Something in our place that we trust instead of God. And so I put in here Westminster Larger Catechism Question 105. And this ate up a lot of paper and ink. But I put it in here because if you really want to do a time of confession of sin, I suggest you go out online and download a copy of the Westminster Larger Catechism in a modern edition. Print it out. And when you want to do confession, turn to the section on the Ten Commandments and read not only what they are, but what they aren't. What they say to do and what they forbid. Listen to this. First commandment forbids, of course, atheism. Denying or not believing in God. Idolatry. Believing in or worshiping any other gods along with and or others than the one true God. You see those bumper stickers of coexist? I think it's what, seven letters? Five of them are works-related religions. Only one is a faith. And yet we're supposed to coexist. Well, I, I can coexist up to a point. When you say I have to deny the true God. Not having and affirming him as God and our God. Failing or neglecting to do anything this commandment requires relating to God. And that goes back to the previous question. Ignorance of him. Not studying the scriptures in the, in the sound theology and not knowing who he is, not knowing his character uh, of who he is. Forgetting him. Anytime you go through the day and you haven't thought about God, you have violated this commandment. Misunderstanding him. Untrue opinions about him and evil or unworthy thoughts about him thinking that he doesn't love you, that he's not with you if you're a child of God. Irreverent curiosity about or inquiry into his secrets. What was a phrase we heard Thursday night from Augustine and Calvin when they were asked, why did God create hell? He created hell for the overly curious. See, where do you think they got it? This is from that first commandment. Um... All godless de desecration, hating God, self-love, self-interest, and all other disorderly or excessive attention, mental, willful, or emotional, to things that divert our attention partially or completely from God. Also including our worthless beliefs, lack of faith, heretical beliefs, Wrong belief, not trusting God. Spiritual despair. It's sad to say it's part of our human condition of how many even of the great bulwarks of the faith throughout the ages have had spiritual despair. Some of them went into depression for weeks at a time. And it's just because we're human. We're, we have that sinful nature and we do this. But it says... That's a violation of the first commandment. Refusing correction and resisting God's judgment. 
You can't tell me that. Whoa. Who set you up as the arbitrator of what God wants you to do? Hardness of heart. Pride. Willfulness. Worldly complacency. Putting God to the test. Kind of the uh, Gideon fleece idea. Using unlawful means to an end. Trusting even in lawful means of grace rather than God. Indulging in pleasures of the flesh. Depraved, blind, or improperly directed zeal. Being lukewarm. Boy, the uh, Laodicean church got it right here. Neither hot nor cold. Spiritual deadness. Deserting and forsaking God. Uh, This one probably hit home at Peter when he denied the Lord three times and he had to be reinstated. Praying to or worshiping saints, angels, or any other created being, which is the one we normally think of, but that's, that's way down on the list. Making an agreement with consulting or following the suggestions of the devil. Obvious. Making men the rulers of our faith and conscience. Sliding and despising God and his commandments, resisting and grieving his spirit, and finally, being dissatisfied and offended by the things God provides in our lives, ignoring, ignorantly blaming him for the evils he afflicts on us, as well as attributing the credit for our good things we are, have, or can do to luck, idols, ourselves, or some other created being. I, I've talked to you about this before. I bristle when I hear that word luck. Because it takes God out of the equation. Man, I was lucky today. No. God and his good providence help you today. But think of that one. Disfat- dissatisfied and offended by things God provides in our lives. I wish I had the car my neighbor does. If only I had that job. If only I too could go on a Disney cruise and spend $35,000 and have a wonderful time for one week in rough seas and rain. And then the Church of Christ is languishing because they don't have enough money. You see how deep and how far it goes? By the time you get done with this, you had better be on your face before God. Because we make idols all the time. And some would look at that, that answer to that question and say, man, that's too in-depth. I said, that's probably not in-depth enough. They probably left out a few things. And that's why I say, you take those Westminster Larger Catechism, they answer those questions, and you pray through them. And you see why you need the grace of God. And you see how far you are from practicing the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And how far in and of yourself you are away from the kingdom of God. The closing is from Psalm 73 where the psalmist is looking out and he's seeing the rich who have everything they want. They're prospered. He befuddled. He said, Lord, didn't you say that those who are against you will be accursed, and yet they're having the time of their life. And in verse 16 and 17, he said, that then I went into the sanctuary and I recalled the Lord. Not only that he would judge them, 
But he recalled the Lord and he said, I have obeyed him and he will bless me for doing that. I have fulfilled the first commandment. And then he finishes by saying, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. A rich young ruler said, Why do you call said, You are a good teacher. And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Am I God? And then he puts out the Ten Commandments. And the rich, one, rich young ruler walked away saddened because Jesus left his worst one till last. You shall not covet. And he coveted the money that he had more than even his eternal life. And the disciples asked question, how can anyone be saved? With man it is impossible, but with God it is possible. One of the things the law throws us, calls us to do is throw ourselves back upon God in all of his grace and mercy to know that he is the sovereign one, he is the Lord God who brings us out of the house of slavery so that we may live the new life he's called us to live. That's the first commandment. And we got nine more of do, weeks of doing this kind of stuff. Oh, man, he's going to beat me up nine different times. Well, we need to be beaten up nine different times, ten different times. Because that's where we see the wonder of the grace and beauty of God. Let's close with prayer. Our Father and our God, what a wonderful God you are. What a blessing it is to hear how wicked and how poor spiritually we are. Why? Because you have provided a way out of that. You have given to us your son who lived the law perfectly and has perfect righteousness, who went to the cross to die in our place and for our sins, who tasted death itself on our behalf, who rose again from the dead and now sits on your right hand are our humanity in heaven with the wounds of his side and feet and hands right before you, reminding you that we cannot do this in and of ourselves, but we only can live and be related to you, but by the grace and mercy that you show to us. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would send your spirit as a light to show us where we need to adjust our lives to be in conformity to your will, that you would grant to us not only the wisdom but the strength to do that, and that we would cooperate with the Spirit in order to be changed and transformed. And as we become more and more familiar with the depth of our sinfulness, we become more and more familiar with the depth of your grace and mercy and the power of your spirit to go with us and help us and move us. Therefore, we commit ourselves to you and to your work. And we do it in the name of Jesus, your son, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.